all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Hey, this is Dr. Rick DeShazo, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Your host for the original Southern Remedy. That's the Wednesday version. And it's a open mic, all-topic show. And we would love to have you give us a call if there are medical issues on your mind. Uh, Whatever they are, what your needs are, we'll do our best to direct you to the right resource and also to give you uh, the latest information that we have. So uh, we have open lines at 1-877-672-7464. And if you don't want to talk to us, you can send us an email and we will read it uh, without your name on it, if you don't want to be named, uh, at uh, mpbonline.org. Click on Southern Remedy, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, One of the things I wanted to just mention, uh, we're not limiting the program to just this topic today, as usual. It's whatever you want to talk about, is this whole issue of... uh, uh, vision problems, which uh, is becoming epidemic because uh, we have so many people getting older, and many of these are associated with aging. And this is beyond cataracts. There are a lot of other problems as well. So we're ending up with a population of people with low vision. Many of you know Mike Duke, who is a MPB uh, employee and regular and director of our uh, reading service, and he's sitting in with me today. To we'll get to him in a minute, uh, and to help me uh, not say anything crazy. And uh, <laughs> I wanted to uh, also bring uh, on board, at least for a minute or two, uh, a friend, and uh, he is a, car- a cardiologist who has vision issues, and now is working pretty much full time in the vision area trying to assist folks who have visual problems and is a very, very busy person, uh, Dr. Joseph Fontenot. Dr. Fontenot, are you there? I am, Rick. Thanks so much for talking with us again. You talked with us, gee, you know, time flies, several years ago. And when you were, I think when you were just developing uh, this, uh, as I understand it, not-for-profit service for people with low vision, uh, and now you have three locations, is that right? Correct. And they're all on the coast. Well, we do also see people in Montgomery, but we see people in Mississippi in Gaucher. Uh-huh. You know, I always call that Gaucher, and people always get very upset. Uh, but Gaucher is a very interesting area. So do you go up there yourself? Myself, right. And oh. one of the other offices we have, Dr. Sherry Gloss, who's an optometrist, works with me, too. So we have several people doing this. So you're in Mobile and Gaucher and where else? Daphne, Alabama, and we also go up to Montgomery. Fantastic. So um, there are there is a growing population of people who have uh, impaired vision and some who are um, are blind uh, in our region. And uh, some of it's related to aging, and then there are a variety of eye diseases uh, and so forth. And the the question is, uh, what resources are available for them to assist whatever vision they have left? Uh, and I have been hearing a lot of people selling stuff. And anytime I hear about people selling stuff, I get a little nervous Um, Typically, we have had people use their ophthalmologist uh, or licensed uh, uh, optician uh, uh, to guide them in a selection of things. But now this has gotten to be sort of a wide-open market, and 
lots of things are being sold. One one thing in particular I'm hearing a lot are these telescopic glasses. What's the story on that? Well, again, first of all, anybody who has a problem with their vision should ask their own ophthalmologist what to do and what local resources are available. And then if that's not possible, if the ophthalmologist is not aware of any, or for whatever reason, uh, the person can go online. There's a couple of reputable organizations that do uh, give you contacts throughout the United States. One of them is the Vision Serve Alliance, and and they have a website, visionservealliance.org, and uh, they have a list, a member list, and people who are members of that are vetted, and they are all reputable. Mm-hmm. The other organization that does that is the uh, American Foundation for the Blind on their homepage, and they are afb.org. On their homepage in the lower right-hand corner is a list of services throughout the United States. And again, you can put in there which state, Mississippi, it'll come up with a list of, again, these are reputable services that have been endorsed by these organizations. So, uh, so uh, Mike uh, Duke who uh, you know, uh, has done a great job of providing services for vision-impaired people for many years, and and, uh, he is vision-impaired himself, so he has a special heart for this this group of folks, and he's here with me. He wanted to say hello. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, uh, so why don't you, Dr. Fauna, what are those things or services that in these counseling centers you have, you talk about with people? Well, first of all, your first question was about the telescopic glasses. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, there's been a lot of hype about these. Some of these devices are useful, and some of them are helpful for certain people with very specific needs. Mm-hmm. They're not for everybody. And again, unfortunately, some of these services that, that provide that primarily provide the expensive head mounted uh, devices are uh, definitely interested in their own profit uh, rather than primarily the welfare of the patient so mm-hmm. I think the consumer as always has to be careful right and and yeah, the basic thing is that they need to try and see what is the best thing for them and there are a lot of relatively inexpensive aids and devices that would be the best for that particular individual. So you don't want to just go out there and buy the most expensive thing available. There are a lot of other things that are less expensive that might be more suitable for an individual. So So things just like light sources can make a big difference, right? right? Light sources can. People who have contrast sensitivity loss sometimes improve dramatically with just the proper lighted. Uh, and, and electronic, uh, well, computer screens, uh, uh, appropriate computer screens. With There are special programs available for people who don't see well, mm-hmm. computer programs. Mike would know uh, at least as much or probably more about this than myself. So what what is he talking about, Mike? Well, there are programs, there, there are two types of programs. There are programs that are, are uh helpful for those of us who do not see at all uh those programs take what is on the screen and make speech out of it and most of the time it's usable speech (laughs) and there are other programs that are called screen magnifiers that will enlarge enlarge the uh, material being displayed on the screen now that of course means you get less material displayed on the screen at any one given time. So you have to learn how to manipulate that program. Uh, and then there are programs that combine the two. So, so where do you get this stuff? Who pays for it? And who teaches you how to use it? I mean, it sounds like, oh, no, not another software program. <laughs> they do have a learning curve, don't they, Doctor? <laughs> they do. Mike and, uses a different one from the one I do. Mm-hmm. So, so does, is this something in Mississippi that re, our rehabil, state rehabilitation service will help with you or what? 
who where do you go well you can go to the state rehabilitation uh mississippi department of rehabilitation services their their training center for vision uh problems in in the uh in the state is the Addie McBride Center, which is part of university. It's, it's, it's tied on to the University Medical Center, although it's operated by the Mississippi Department of Rehabilitation Services. That's where you go for what we call computer training, uh, com- training on the various software packages. And uh, uh, now they're even uh, starting to do some training on, uh, on the iPhone and uh, uh, various uh, iPads and Android tablets and and so forth. And what about at Alabama, Doctor Fontenot? Where do you do you run training centers, or does this, is there an Eye Foundation thing? I know that they have the Callahan Center at UAB. What right. what uh, what? Well, we, we need multiple. to wrap this up because we we got to move on. But I, I wanted to at least let our fo- Alabama listeners know what was available. Sure, sure. With, uh, you're right. The Callahan Eye Center has a good program. That's the University of Alabama Low Vision Center there. Uh, we have several programs in Mobile. I think they probably have more in uh, Birmingham, too, and there's a service I know in Dothan. But again, uh, the primary thing for a person who's losing their vision is to have a full vision evaluation, and that's what we do before deciding who needs what type of service. Mm. So it's called vision rehabilitation evaluation or visual function evaluation. Now, uh, there, again, there are literally hundreds of things that can be done for people who don't see well, if they're just low vision or if they're blind. But the main thing would be to have a good initial evaluation and then see what is best for you. Okay, and I have your number is two five one four five four seven two nine one. Is that correct? Uh, that's my cell number. Oh, that, we don't want to give that <laughs> one out. All right. What about the center? The center <laughs> is Our center uh, is two five one uh-huh. four seven six uh-huh. four seven. I'll repeat that later in the program, but that's a good place to start if you want to find out what to do. We want to thank you so much for being online, and we're going to come back. We're not going to wait several years. We're going to come back and talk some more, and Mike is going to stay here in case anybody calls in today. Dr. Fontenot, thanks so much for talking with us on your day off. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Richard. Good talking to you, Mike. Good to talk to you. Good to see you. All right, you're listening to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick. It's all things you want to talk about, and we're going to go to your house if you give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And let's go to Mobile and John. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Yes, sir. Um, quick question. I'll give you a snapshot of who I am. Seventy two, and uh, overweight. Hypertension is my hypertension. Diabetes are my devils that uh, that that haunt me. Uh, my my cardiologist has put me on something called a DASH diet, right. and I want you to give me kind of a summary of the objective of the DASH diet and just uh, a view of thirty thousand feet as to what as to what this DASH diet is about. Okay, I'll take your answer offline. Well, let me let me just have a little bit of conversation with you about it. Have you ever okay. heard of the of the uh, Mediterranean diet? Yes, sir. Well, it's basically the same thing. Okay, so that's the starting point. Well, I'll talk a little bit about that while you're driving and try to give you the information you need. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm quite familiar with the Mediterranean diet. In fact, I, my my parents come from an island over in the Aegean called Icaria. Uh-huh. It's noted as a blue zone where people live forever and ever. Right, right. And they are strictly the Mediterranean diet. Every time I come back from visiting over there, all my all my blood numbers look great, and I have to caution the doctor that uh, that what they're seeing is not really the real me. But uh, man, I am glad you called. Are you a Greek ancestry? Is that a Greek island? That's right. I'm 100 percent Greek. I'm first generation. Everybody else is from the old country. Well, let me tell you, I grew up in a neighborhood full of Greeks, and I I learned to cuss in Greek before I learned to cuss in English. <laughs> so uh, you count me on as one of you. Uh, so, you know, these diets basically focus on staying away from highly saturated fats that are high in cholesterol and, and calories. So that means you automatically 
go to olive oil as your first oil. The problem with olive oil is if you get it too hot, it flames up. So you can't do everything with olive oil, but olive oil would be your go-to oil where you can use it. And it is a relatively low-carbohydrate, low-fat, and low-salt diet. And uh, But it is an incredibly palatable diet. As you know, once you start eating healthy healthily cooked fish uh, with, you know, olive oil sautés and and all of the, the good sp- uh, low-salt f- uh, spices and so forth. It's the, it's the kind of stuff you probably grew up with before Greeks started frying everything to sell them in restaurants all over the place like everybody else did because that's what people want, that sweet taste. But you get that sweet taste uh, and the opportunity to use creative cooking when you use olive oil, and then a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables. People don't realize that ketchup, ketchup is not a vegetable. In fact, our school system here in Mississippi <laughs> defined cat, uh, ketchup as a vegetable for many years, and the first uh, component of ketchup is high-fructose corn syrup, which is the worst thing you could ever eat because it screws up your whole metabolic pathway. So um, you have to be careful about what you call a vegetable. So there are vegetables that are carb-rich, like uh, potatoes, high-carb, and uh, ones that aren't, like cauliflower, the green vegetables. Uh, If you stick with stuff that grows in the ground, you're going to more likely than not end up with a heavy uh, diet. So we used to say it's all about calories in and calories out. That's how many total calories you eat and how many you burn up. That's still a part of the equation, but it's also about what kind of calories you get. And I'll tell you why the DASH diet does not have a lot of uh, what are called high glycemic foods. These are things like uh, white bread, uh, potatoes, uh, and the like, grits, which I love. Uh, you know, anything that we're used to eating in the South uh, was de- was for the most part designed for people working in the fields because they burned that up. We don't work in fields much anymore. They've got tractors using GPS in the Delta. It's weird to see. Nobody's in there, and the, they're farming everywhere. Uh, so, so those foods, uh, like rice, and white bread, if you eat a load of those, they immediately induce the release of insulin. And you get a big surge of insulin, and insulin makes you makes you hungry. That's why people who have diabetes uh, gain weight on insulin, because they're hungry all the time. So we try to stay away from simple carbohydrates and go with complex carbohydrates Uh, when we're going to have carbohydrates, fresh fruits and vegetables. Uh, If you eat meat, it should be the tenderloin and a limited amount and no added salt to your cooking. Um, So that's the DASH diet. That's the Mediterranean diet. There's a lot of stuff about that free on the net. You don't have to buy a book with some movie star's name on it to find out about this. John, is that helpful? So you told me that the dash diet is basically the Mediterranean diet. Right. So if I, if I stay with the fresh fruit, vegetables, greens, then I'm, I'm on the right track. And use it, olive oil as your, as your designated oil, or canola is my second go-to. Uh, but, yes, that will significantly help. And maybe you ought to go home again this summer and spend about three months over there, and you'd come back, you know, looking ready to wear one of those bikinis that all those Greeks wear over there on the aisles. And uh, then you could call and give us your success story. How would that be? <laughs> I'll call you back 50 pounds from now, okay? <laughs> Sounds great. My Thanks for your call. call. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye-bye. Kala. Uh, well, that was John in Mobile talking about the DASH diet, and we'd like to talk to you about whatever is on your mind we uh, let off a little bit talking about vision, and we're going to go back to that, but that doesn't mean we won't talk about 
toenail fungus or whatever's on your mind at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or you can send us an email at mpbonline.org. Is that right, Jay? Yeah. Uh click on Southern Remedy. So uh back to the vision thing, Mike, since we got you uh pigeonholed here. Tell us your story. How did you uh get vision problems? Well, I I arrived with them. Oh. Uh, and <clears throat> the uh, by the time I was six months old, my parents discovered that uh, that I had a, a problem. They didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dead giveaway, what, what turned out to be the giveaway, was that my mother noticed that when she would walk into the room, I would not follow her with my eyes, and I wouldn't make a move until she made a noise or, you know, moved something or said something so that I would know somebody was there. And then I would turn my head toward her and not just move my eyes. Hmm. Uh, that led eventually, uh, you know, fairly soon to a visit to our, uh, pediatrician. Well, yeah, our, uh, just the general practitioner, uh-huh. you know, at, at the, the, small town doctor who was the end all be all do all right and he said yes i think there's a problem and he said unfortunately i think uh, he doesn't see it all that led to a parade of doctors the good news is i don't remember any of it <laughs> and I, you know i mean that i, I don't because i was six months old uh-huh. and uh, at at nine months old i landed in the mayo clinic Wow. I landed in the Mayo Clinic because someone said to my dad, hey, this is probably the best place in the United States. See if you can get up there and let them look at him. Mm-hmm. And and that was pretty much the way it was put to him. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not a doctor. This was just somebody, a, clinic. Or for a friend, yeah, you know, right, that, that right. said, you know, go there. So that's when the diagnosis was made. <clears throat> well, the Mayo Clinic confirmed the diagnosis uh, that, I was totally blind. They were able to say, okay, here's what happened. And what happened was the optic nerve in the brain don't communicate. Mm-hmm. And as I've grown older, I tell people, it, working around the uh, broadcast industry and a lot of engineers, I tell people I have a cold solder joint. Yeah. <laughs> and But basically the optic nerve and the brain have never communicated so this was that, a congenital abnormality that you yeah, had. And, yeah, and and they said, we don't know what caused it. One of the greatest statements that was ever made to my parents, we don't know what caused it. If we don't, we're, we're sure, pretty sure that it was nothing you did or nothing that you did not do hmm. that caused it. So don't go home and beat yourself over the head. Well, you're right now, you're uh, sort of at least my go-to resource for anything uh, related to services for people who have vision impairment, uh, including uh, uh, blindness, and uh, trying to educate me about how sighted people should behave around blind people, because uh, uh, that's it's very uh, it, it's an area I want to talk to you about after we take this next call because. Uh, Sighted people don't know what to do with blind people. <laughs> you know, they 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 don't know how to. You know, are we're not you, we're not contagious. Are and I'll you leave supposed it at that. to grab them by the arm and lead them across the street, or what are you supposed to do? So we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about your your uh, issue if you give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send us an email. Let's go to Jesse and Flowood. Hey, Jesse. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, and I appreciate your call. We were getting lonely up here. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Well, I've got a question. Uh, I've been dealing with uh, insomnia uh, around 2004. Um, I got on Lunesta for a little while. It didn't really do much. I was on it for about six months, and then I tried melatonin. I've been trying that for several years now, and... Still doesn't do anything. It usually takes me until around three or four in the morning to get to sleep. And regardless, at seven o'clock in the morning, I'm I'm awake when the sun comes up. And I'm just wondering what options are there 
available to help me at this. And this this came on all of a sudden. You didn't have uh, insomnia problems earlier in life. Uh, not really. Um, I around 2004, I graduated, went off to college, and I was having to stay up really late and study. Also, I was in band, uh, so I was up late a lot because of that. And just ever since then, I've been unable to break the cycle and just can't seem to get to sleep. Do you drink a lot of caffeine during the day to stay awake? Uh, I've actually changed that the past five years. I've switched over. I've pretty much given up uh, sodas and switched either to water or uh, green, unsweetened green tea for the most part. Uh, and that didn't help? Uh, not really. I okay. Mean, it and what I'm going to I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions, and I'm going to let you go. We'll ask, answer your question. What time do you usually wake up in the morning? Seven o'clock? Is that what you said? Seven seven thirty. Usually, whenever the sun comes up. Uh, what time do you try to start going to sleep? I usually try around midnight, but I usually can't fall asleep, and I'll just lay there with my eyes closed, and not usually pass out until close to three in the morning. Usually. Got you. Got you. Okay. Thank you for your call, and, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about this. It's also a, uh, an opportunity to talk about this condition that people who have vision problems have day-night undifferentiation. Let me just talk about this in general. We'll uh, let Mike help us a little bit with this other thing. They're selling a pill for it now. They have a pill for everything. <laughs> okay, so insomnia means difficulty sleeping. It's a general term. Uh, it may b- mean that you have difficulty going to sleep. It may be uh, uh, that you have trouble staying asleep. Uh, but it's part of a much larger category called sleep disorder disorders. And now there is a specialty of medicine uh, called sleep. And there is the American Board of Sleep that people, you know, take training uh, for a year or two with uh, a sleep specialty program, uh, do a lot of learning, and have to take an examination to show that they know what they're talking about. A lot of neurology in that, so a lot of respiratory issues. Uh, and so the people that are sleep therapists are first subspecialists in pulmonary medicine, or uh, general internal medicine, or um, uh, occasionally family medicine, but mostly not, uh, or uh, uh, neurology or psychology, uh, psychiatry. Those are the people. The the sleep center at UMC, for instance, is a a combo uh, run jointly by uh, our neurology, psychiatry, pulmonary and general medicine department. All of the people in the division are are certified in sleep medicine. So uh, in your particular case, you need to see a sleep specialist to sort this out. Uh, But in in general, the last thing you want to do to treat a sleep problem is to get on a sleep medicine uh, full-time. the ones that are most frequently used are benzodiazepine uh, derivatives, like you've heard of Valium and Ambien and all those. And those are uh, habituating drugs that um, have a lot of interactions with other medications and a lot of memory problems. Uh, people who get on uh, benzos for long term have a lot of memory issues, sometimes they don't even realize. By the way, we have open lines. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I'd like to pick up your call if you call now while I'm pontificating about uh, sleep. So um, the the uh, the the approach, the first approach, and this is something you can do, uh, Jesse yourself. Because it's what the sleep guy is going to tell you to do first before we do something else is develop a good sleep hygiene, and you don't have it. What you're doing is you're staying in bed when you can't sleep for long periods of time, and that is the worst thing you can do in order to deal with this program. So good sleep hygiene for somebody who cannot get to sleep or stay to sleep is to develop a uh, a regimen 
uh, in which you do the same thing every night until you uh, get into a normal sleep pattern. And that is, number one, uh, you don't take naps during the day. And in particular, if you do take a nap, you never take a nap longer than 30 minutes or so because taking naps screws up your entire day-night cycle. So that's number one. Number two, you have a regular time to go to sleep, just like you do, and a regular time to get up that fits your own personal schedule, and you stick to that no matter what. If you have problems going to sleep, you uh, first of all, your bedroom should be a sanctified space, no TV because the light wakes you up, no bright lights, uh, no boombox. It is a quiet place that basically is for sleeping and making love, and that's it. That's all you do. You don't read the Encyclopedia Britannica in your bed. Uh, You don't go in there and... Uh, you know, do your taxes, which people are doing now in the bed on your computer. It is a sleep place. You stay up until you're ready to go to sleep. And then you go in there, the lights are low, you try to rev down, you don't drink caffeine uh, after noon. Uh, and as some people are slow uh, uh, metabolizers of caffeine, and, and I'm one of them. I can drink caffeine and it hangs around for 24 hours. So um, be careful with the caffeine. Uh, Alcohol is another problem. Uh, Drinking a lot at night will totally mess you up. And you ought to have that one glass of wine if you're going to drink anything at night or as early as possible with your meal and quit. And so comes time to go to bed. You go to bed, uh, turn the lights down low, uh, get comfy, and you lay in bed, and if you can't get to sleep, you get up, leave the bedroom, and go to your den or some other room, watch TV, uh, read a book, or whatever you want to do until you get sleepy. And then you go back to bed, and you go back in the quiet place, uh, you know, nothing there, and you lay in bed for another 30, up no more than 30 minutes. If you don't get to sleep, you get up and do the same thing. Now, you may not go to sleep at all the first couple of nights when you do this, but eventually uh, most people can recycle into normal sleep by going through this maneuver until they actually are so exhausted on the front end they will just lay down and go to sleep normally and they get recycled into that pattern. So that that is the do-it-yourselfer. If that doesn't work, by the way, you need to have your thyroid checked. Some people with hyperthyroidism have problems. There's some other metabolic issues. You need to make sure that there's no medical issue here. But if that's not the case, that would be what we call good sleep hygiene. Hope that helps, Jesse. We appreciate your call. And we want to take your call if you call us at one 672 So since you have been... Is it okay to say blind? It is for me. Okay. Uh, you have well, to, what about you have to others? call it something. What about others? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, most, what is the vernacular? Well, most of us grew up, uh, people my age anyway, grew up uh, referring to it as blind or blindness. Uh, and then along came the people who are language, you know, people who are uh and then you still throw the word blind in there, <laughs> except for a couple of us. Unless you're, you're a dog, it, you would be a dog who are. No. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and then there are those of us who get a little devious and say people who are non-seeing. Uh-huh. But, but you know, uh, you have to call it, it has, there has to be a word for it. And uh, the word I've grown up with and use daily is blind. Uh most you can, people you can who use are, that word and not be mean or mean spirited. Yeah, are, are most people who are blind are they are they comfortable with that term? I think most are. And what are what are the ones that are uncomfortable? What do they want to be called? People who are blind? <laughs> I, I have no idea. Okay, good. All right, we'll leave it there. And you know, you, you are you are very much a part of the larger community of vision impaired people in our state. God bless you and uh, help a lot of people. So that's that helps me. So uh, do you have this day night? thing well i i have grown as i've grown older i've actually when 
back to my uh, the story I had was I had what's called light perception. I didn't get any color, any shadows, any any stimulation other than knowing that somewhere there was this thing and I was told this is light and at night it wasn't there unless mm-hmm. there was a light on in the room. Mm-hmm. I have lost over the years a significant part of that light perception. So I'm, I'm not taking in the light that I used to take and uh, that I used to take in. And that did change my sleep pattern somewhat. Uh, I've not been diagnosed with what's called non 24, right. uh, which is what you were referring to a while ago. There's a couple of groups doing a lot of research right now on non 24 sleep disorder. And that has to do with the amount of light that your eyes actually take in and that your body figures out what to do with. Uh, I was never diagnosed with that. I did go through the sleep clinic, uh, through a sleep clinic uh, in 2005, but that was for sleep, uh, the sleep apnea. apnea. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and that was uh, that was causing problems. And uh, I'd probably had it for years and didn't know about it until I got married. And uh, and your uh, wife said, uh, my wife said, you might want to sleep somewhere and, else because you keep me awake. Well, I'm keeping her awake, and then she'd say, you may want to make you may want to wake up and breathe. You know. <laughs> So, right. you, so you'll be here in the morning, right. and uh, and I went through that and wore wear the uh, CPAP machine, and that has done a lot, uh, you know, to make me. I can I can go without it a couple of nights, and on that third night, it's like somebody has really beat me to death. Yeah. So, but, so but you're, but that's not blindness related. We that's, have awakened the uh, insomniacs in the world, and we need to go to Ridgeland and Slidell. But what is uh, is there? Uh, what is we're going to hit on a lot of these um, vision-related issues. Uh, is anyone in Mississippi able to get into re- rehab without going through a lot of uh, vision rehab or whatever you call it without getting hassled? Is it easy well, to do or what? It's it's uh, probably I, – I won't say – you can't just walk in the door. Uh, you have to be referred by, uh, by usually a – a medical doctor or a, or an optometrist or you know eye doctor of some de- some description mm-hmm. can refer you to the agency and then they once you once you get that referral then they the agency sends you to what they call their counselor uh, who you know processes the stuff and and it yeah you know, when it works right it, it moves quickly and every now and then of course you hit speed bumps but but so what you, are the you portfolio what are the portfolio services available. Rehabilitation for for the blind and and visually impaired will uh, they will teach you a how to use like Dr. Fontenot said how to use the uh, once they evaluate your vision and establish where you are with your vision they will teach you how to use whatever vision you have as effectively as you possibly can. Uh, there are, as he said, a lot of different vision disorders. It's very simple and very easy for me to say to you, I don't see anything. Whereas someone with low vision can say, well, I, I can see that, that you're wearing a, whatever color your shirt is, mm-hmm. but I can't see uh, to read the newspaper mm-hmm. or I can see, you know, something way off in the distance, but I can't see anything up close. And so there are any number, uh, you know, you have the what we used to call tunnel vision, which is uh, uh, where you have this little pinpoint of vision where you may be able to see a half mile down the road and on either side of it, you don't see any better than I do. So there are all sorts of different vision disorders. The, uh, The Addie McBride Center in Jackson and uh, Dr. Fontenot's service and other places like those are able to evaluate you and determine what your disorder is. And once they do that, then they're able to to uh, steer you in the, the direction of the uh, equipment, like the glasses you mentioned, that can do you the most good. That's Mike Duke, our uh, director of our uh, vision impaired services group. I, I'm trying to be a radio uh, reading service. Radio, uh, <laughs> totally uh, correct here, and uh, we want to talk about that too in just a minute. Uh, and we'll talk about anything you want to talk about if you give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And let's go to Ridgeland and Karen. Hey, Karen. Hi, Doctor Rick. How are you today? All right. Thanks for calling. I I, I wanted to let Mike. 
display his wares there and get to, <laughs> we got a lot of people struggling with issues and don't know about the services so thank you for your patience what's on your mind uh, a few moments ago you were talking with someone who was um wrestling with insomnia and talking about sleep hygiene mm-hmm. i'm a i'm a licensed counselor and i work with folks who are dealing with all sorts of problems and sleep it, or lack of sleep is a common thread through um through some of what my clients are are experiencing screens phones tvs mm. um pads mm. you know ipads um all of that i think is beginning to interfere with our sleep yep and so part of my sleep hygiene suggestions to folks is to turn off the screens one to two hours before they want to go to bed and not to get up and watch tv if they awaken in the night and can't go back to sleep, they can get up, get out of the bed, and go read a magazine or a book. Yeah, but not that TV. I think that gets us going again. I think um, I think you're probably right. Um, the the traditional uh, data generated on sleep hygiene was uh, was generated before the twenty four seven news cycle. Uh, yeah. I am a news. Uh, I'm hooked on the news, and uh, as a psychologist, you you know that it is very easy for people who tend to be high strung to just get totally, you know, whacked out uh, if you get involved in a lot of drama. Of uh, uh, these, uh, all the shows now have a lot of action in them that are stimulatory. And or if you bring your work home, that's another thing that will do it. So, uh, how receptive are your uh, patients to these suggestions? Is is it working? Not not too much, especially with the phone. Uh huh. Folks really think they have to have their phone next to them, next to their bed, because they need a clock or they need something. But what ends up happening is the people wake up check their phone and before you know it they're off they're they're checking all sorts of things on their phone Hmm. and and that just stimulates and it's not just the content but it's the light it's the backlight in these devices that stimulates the brain again it's the light yeah you know we're supposed to be in a completely dark room to to sleep well well that counteracts all of that. Well, we got 50 so. chargers going in our bedroom, and if we don't watch, if we have a TV in there and we're being good and not not watching it like we shouldn't be, then there's still lights on that and so forth. So you're absolutely uh, in sync with uh, everything, uh, the little bit I know about this issue, and that is the whole light thing is is very important. Now, a lot of people uh, in in metropolitan areas it's very difficult to get in a uh, environment that doesn't have light in it especially if you live in an apartment so we have a lot of people that we try to get to use some kind of blinders at night and you can get those at any drugstore and eventually i use one yeah eventually with a sleep mask. well they got sure sexy is. ones for ladies and ugly ones for guys like me <laughs> uh and you know slogans on them like don't touch me i'll wake up and uh, stuff like that. So that's uh, those are great pointers, uh, Karen, and we really appreciate you contributing those. So thank you very much. All right, let's go to Michael and Slidell. Hey, hey, Mike, I, I noticed that you don't have the problem. It's somebody else. Is that right? Uh, hello, gentlemen. I've been hauling freight since the 60s and uh, always sleep real good in that sleeper truck, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, <laughs> back and there now, in the back. Yeah, and so my wife ran with me some, mm-hmm. and she noticed that the noise of the truck helped her to sleep. So one day she uh, was at some store and seen one of those big Honeywell filter yep. things running, making the noise like a truck. Yep. So she she bought one of them and she put that in the bedroom at night. And that, you know, it's just like an air conditioner in the window. Mm-hmm. It uh, makes a rest. But uh, 
Now uh, I'm retired, and I got a job where I'm home every night uh, to get used to staying in that still bed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I got this hyper dog sister. She's always wanting something. So uh, for, for me to for me to sit sleep uh, at night, I have to put earplugs because my my senses are just so sensitive to any quietness or the sound. Yes. So I have to use the earplugs. Yeah. Now, those are all excellent. Those are all excellent points. Uh, and uh, again, I appreciate you say saying that. Uh, you know, they have the sleep machines at uh, Bed Bath and Beyond, Walmart, all these other places, Walgreens, uh, you know, gym store, whatever, and. Uh, they have uh, all these choices, so you can put on white noise, or uh, you can put on Brooks, and you know, and those are great for people with prostate problems because that <laughs> assures that they'll get up every fifteen minutes all night to urinate. Uh, so you have to be careful about what kind of noise you use if you're going to do that and how loud it is, but you are absolutely correct, and that's something we didn't mention, that sometimes uh, having some background noise, I think white noise would be a good thing, but, you know, you could have truck recording or, uh, you know, whatever kind of, a lot of people use fans. We don't recommend fans because that gives you dry syndrome if you have a lot of air blowing on your eyes during the night. But those are those are good hints. So, uh, and sleep apnea, of course, especially in people who have large necks, uh, anybody with a pretty much over a 17 and a half, 18 neck is going to have sleep apnea. And that's, that's worse than just snoring. That'll kill you because what happens is you stop breathing in the middle of the night, episodically all night, you never get, uh, rested your oxygen levels drop each time you stop breathing and if you have heart disease uh, it can induce an arrhythmia extra heartbeats and you can die in your sleep i had a physician friend who in fact did that broke my heart he had sleep apnea would not wear his cpap um and uh and so you need that's that's why probably if you're having intractable sleep problems or if you're snoring, you definitely need to see a sleep specialist. Let's go to Jackson and Charles. Hey, Charles. Hello, Doctor Rick. I want to ask you how one can distinguish between uh, a central tremor and the tremor associated with Parkinsonism. I have had central tremor for 25 or 30 years uh-huh. and it was was prescribed uh, metoprolol which mm-hmm. worked very well it cut it out the cut it out completely the tremor that i have um uh, upon movement movement of my hands mm-hmm. but recently i've got a much greater tremor in my right hand than my left and i cannot hold my right hand out but just two or three seconds, and then it also is in my right leg as well. Mm-hmm. And the uh, metoprolol doesn't seem to affect that at all. Okay. All right, so uh, essential tremor is not that uncommon. It is uh, a sort of a rhythmic um, oscillatory-type movement of a body part, uh, and it's caused actually by alternating contraction and relaxation of muscles. It's a, a muscle issue. And uh, it, it's really the most common of all these uh, disorders that are called movement disorders. Uh, you usually uh, can, uh, and, and there are several types of this. We really don't know the, uh, the real biology, but some of this is definitely genetic. So having a family member with the problem is another common uh, thing. Uh, and it comes on immediately in in the arms when they're held outstretched, uh, usually uh, at the end of any goal-directed movement when you're trying to, to drink uh, 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 some water or something like that. And... Uh, 
it uh, it's unusual in the legs. So if you're having leg problems, that is one of the red flags that suggest that you need a, uh, an evaluation for Parkinson's. Now, Parkinson's is a movement disorder. It's much more than a tremor. Uh, people have trouble getting started with movements and uh, can have a lot of instability, as well as the tremor with this pill rolling uh, quality to it that we don't see an essential tremor. Uh, so you basically are got your thumb rolling. It looks like you're rolling a pin, uh, a, a pill between your thumb uh, and your other fingers. So there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, but it sounds like you had essential tremor because usually the Parkinsonian uh, tremors don't respond to beta blockers like your own. But it sounds like it has gotten more complex at this point. And, in fact, you do need uh, to to uh, get back to your neurologist and get some additional testing. Parkinson's is a syndrome. Uh, there is no one test that uh, gives you a diagnosis. It's a combination of uh, of signs and symptoms uh, and history that make that diagnosis. So uh, I think uh, the legs uh, th- that you mentioned was the key, and it's time to get to your uh, neurologist for further evaluation. All right, let's go to Greenville, and we have some open lines, and we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, how to access services for people with vision impairment. Uh, so we'll take this. We got time for this green uh, Greenville call, and uh, we'll we'll take that. And we're going to have you back again, Mike, in the future. Talk some more. But the what you pointed out most importantly is the vision services. And what about uh, uh, the the from our own uh, state agencies? How do you get the uh, the radio services? Well. The, the quick way to do it is to give us a call. Uh, the phone number at my desk is uh, 432-6301, 601-432-6301. All right. And uh, call us, and we'll walk you through that process. All right. Sorry, Bob, I didn't get to your call. If you send us an email, I certainly will respond to it. That's org, Or call us back about your sleep disorder next week or anything else that's bothering you. Thanks for listening to Southern Remedy. Our producer is Jay White. Southern Remedy is sponsored by UMC uh, through an unrestricted grant. See you again next week. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.